Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about CanadaLand and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Quick note before the show begins. Um, last week was a bad week for the Canadian media. A lot of layoffs, uh, entire publications going under. We will be reporting on all of that soon. We here at Canada Land are determined to make it through this, and we are going to make it through it with every job here intact. And the way that we're going to do that is with your help. Make sure that you have what you need first. If you are in a position to help us keep doing what we're doing, if we are making a positive contribution to your life as you get through this, please click on the link in the show notes. And for five bucks Canadian a month, you can get ad-free versions of our shows every Monday and Thursday. And uh, if you're on a desktop computer, go to canadalandshow.com slash join to do that. And if you already support us one way or the other, and you want to give us some one-time support, you can send us money at support at canadalandshow.com. Thank you. Something that a lot of people have observed is how this virus seems like it is perfectly designed to exploit society's weaknesses. Creaky healthcare system, 
neglected seniors' homes, homelessness and the housing crisis, income inequality, precarious labor, over-reliance on globalized supply chains, the public's distrust in authority, in, in science, the public's distrust in media. All of that is just fuel for this bug. Today's episode is about one of society's weaknesses that we have been working hard to ignore for a very long time. Canada's prison system was heading for a breakdown before COVID-19. Overcrowding, transmissible diseases, the consequences of the war on drugs, the consequences of systemic anti-Indigenous racism. Advocates have been trying to get the public to care about prison reform for years. But perhaps the vague notion that, you know, at least we're not as bad as the U.S., it's kept this issue on the sidelines. Well, now the bill is coming due. Today, reporter Justin Ling will take you inside a slow-moving catastrophe. He began reporting this for Vice. He has talked about it on CBC's Front Burner. And today, we partner with him to bring you the latest on the coronavirus crisis that is about to explode within Canada's prisons and then beyond. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Jean-Vierre Moreau, Bimmy Grambles, Diana, Ian Dwyer, Alex Nagur, Sarah Stasiuk, Liam Grogan, and Dalen Cochran. My name is Dalen Cochran. I'm from Owen Sound, and I work at Chapman's Ice Cream. I support Canada Land because of the great content that they make with shows like Common and Oppo, and I guess Jesse's okay too. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. 
Hello? This is a prepaid call from... Roger Stonehouse. This is a prepaid call from... Paul Owen. From... Joe Brown. An inmate at a BC Correctional Center. For safety and security purposes, this call will be recorded and may be monitored as authorized by the Correction Act and the Correction Act regulation. Two weeks ago, I started receiving calls like this. Right. This guy couldn't even get mop water to clean, you know, clean yeah. the range. The guards are being harder now than they ever were. I had armed a few lawyers with my phone number, and I asked them to pass it on to their clients. Within an hour, my phone was ringing. They've been uh, keeping us on the range, like our range restrict. We're only getting outside, like uh, one hour out for yard and one hour out for uh, gym or whatever. On the other end of the line were inmates, stuck in prisons across the country, terrified. If that's how they're going to deal with it, like it's just going to spread like wildfire. Because they're like, oh, they're not going to test the rest of us. They're not, like, if one person gets it in here, we're all going to get it. I heard from family members. Their immune system inside is definitely compromised. So it's scary because once it goes through, it's it's deadly. It's yeah. going to be deadly. I heard from their lawyers. The thing that is concerning him a lot is the lack of information that they're getting about COVID-19, about what's going on outside in the outside world. For the past few months, I've been working on a series of stories about the state of Canada's prison system. Solitary confinement, frequent lockdowns, the staggering rate of HIV and tuberculosis, a lack of basic nutrition, the use of what is basically slave labor, and let me tell you, things were not in good shape anyway, even before COVID-19 started sweeping the globe. Another revelation is that among China's cases, more than 500 are in prisons across the country. It was really clear, really quickly, that the virus was really dangerous in enclosed spaces. In Milan, the, the convicts climbed onto the roof of the San Vittori prison, asking for an amnesty due to the virus emergency. In Modena, authorities said six inmates died after they broke into an infirmary and overdosed on methadone. More than two dozen riots have reportedly broken out across the country. Some places decided to be proactive. And Iran has temporarily freed about 85,000 prisoners in response to the pandemic. Last week, the UN asked Tehran to release them to help stem the spread of the virus. As the virus started looming over Canada, public concern focused on incoming travelers, the availability of testing, and hospital capacity. Prisons seemed like a pretty far-off worry. But I got really stuck on this idea. Canada's prisons are in a sorry state. If something wasn't done proactively, there's no telling how bad this could get. By early March, even U.S. prisons were stepping up. Also tonight, San Francisco, Santa Clara County, and Alameda County, area all working in plans to release jail inmates early to prevent an outbreak behind bars. On March 20th, Canada had reported just over 2,500 cases of the coronavirus. Cities began closing bars, restaurants, movie theaters, and stores. Social distancing orders were issued. Flights were banned. But I heard virtually nothing about our prisons. And this is no small problem. There are roughly 15,000 people in federal prisons and nearly 25,000 in provincial custody, and they're mostly there on federal crimes. There's also more than 6,600 people in immigration detention facilities across the country. That is a lot of people, all locked up in pretty tight quarters. 
So, at Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's morning press conference, held via teleconference from his self-isolation, I asked him this. Hi, Prime Minister. Um, there is concerns that prison and detention facilities are particularly risky vectors for transmitting COVID-19. Um, some states uh, and other countries have done things to reduce the prison population. Is Canada considering that? First of all, on Corrections Canada, I can assure you that the Minister of Public Safety is engaged with the head of Corrections Canada uh, to take measures to keep uh, our incarcerated population safe. Uh, that is something that we are uh, looking at very carefully, and we understand the uh, heightened risks in those, uh, in those uh, institutions. After the press conference, I put down my phone. I stared out my balcony to the empty street below, and I thought to myself, what the fuck was that? The U.S.-Canada border was shut. Parliament wasn't meeting. The Prime Minister was in self-isolation. It felt like everywhere you looked, governments were taking extraordinary measures. Everywhere you look, except for Canada's prisons. It was a matter of time before COVID-19 finally got into these institutions. So was the government doing anything to protect the inmates, the corrections officers, and the support staff? Hi, Justin. It's Donna McKay calling. Donna's partner is in the Medium Security Institution in Gravenhurst, Ontario. I've written Justin Trudeau. I sent him, I think, every day for the last week, the same letter saying, you know, these are these guys are sitting ducks. You need to do something. Prisons all over the world have released prisoners. As fears of the pandemic grew, Donna saw the news about inmates being released in Iran and America, and she started asking questions. She started by emailing the prime minister. Then she tried Public Safety Minister Bill Blair. She called up her local MP, who happens to be Minister Marion Monsef. Nobody answered her. And I said, this is imperative. This is, you know, this needs to take priority. I never got a response back either, mm. you know. But when I heard you, actually, my partner heard you. Mm. And he said, you know, somebody asked about the federal prisons. And then I brought it up on my laptop right away when I was talking to him. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to write his name down. <laughs> Donna is a former lawyer. She was planning on representing her partner at his parole board hearing in a few weeks. She's also advocating for another inmate in the minimum security facility in Gravenhurst. They're both telling her that, inside the prison, few precautions, if any, were being taken. The civilians are coming and going, meaning the kitchen staff uh -huh. and, the, and the canteen staff and all that. Newcomers are coming every day. He was just telling me that there's absolutely no hand sanitizer for the inmates right now. Let's start there with something really basic, soap. Correctional Services Canada, which manages all of Canada's federal prisons, sent me a statement in mid-March about COVID-19. It read that CSC has dedicated healthcare services in its institutions and is prepared to handle cases of influenza and other respiratory illnesses such as COVID-19. We got one bar of soap, the same bar of soap that we get every other week. Right. They got signs going up, wash your hands, like it makes no sense. Right. They said they got disinfected cleaner, but that's not a cleaner for your body, right? It's not a hand sanitizer. This is Michael. He's at a federal penitentiary in Saskatchewan. I'm in uh, Prince Albert, where it's mostly yeah. Aboriginals. It's 80%. And the way they treat them is abhorrent. Before we were locked down, I went over to the place that gives us hygiene. I was like, are you guys going to be giving out extra stuff? Or are you guys going to be like, what's going yeah. on? Are you going to give out the... The hand sanitizer. Oh, no, no, you guys will be drinking. I said, who cares about drinking right now? We're going to be dying. Like, I'm not worried about who's drinking. 
Some institutions have given out little bars of soap or little packs of shampoo. Stuart Serson, who is serving time at the Pacific Institution in British Columbia, says the prison is leaving it to the inmates to get their own hygiene products. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not, they're not even like, uh, there's no hand sanitizer or nothing like that around. We asked them, like, oh, just, uh, just use soap. Right. But at least you have soap. Yeah, yeah, we 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 use our own, right? Like uh, like usually like Axe uh, body wash or like Ivory. Like I have Ivory, I use Ivory soap, right? But other than that, yeah, there's uh, nothing in the washrooms, and uh, yeah, it's pretty uh, pretty slim picking. Those things of body wash, they're not free. Inmates need to buy them at the prison canteen, where prices are often double or triple what they are in the community. I asked Roger Stonehouse, who was incarcerated at the Nanaimo Correction Center, a provincial institution in Vancouver Island, just how much does soap go for in the canteen? Oh, nine bucks. Jesus. For like a like a like a what like a liter and a half bottle? Yeah. And uh like we only like we only make like last week I made twelve dollars. So yeah. <laughs> like I make twelve dollars and then I go buy it all on soap or whatever. Yeah, you heard that right. He makes $12 a week working inside the institution. A spokesperson for Correctional Services told me two weeks ago that the service had, quote, distributed soap, cleaning supplies, and hand sanitizer to staff and inmates. I have seen no evidence that's the case. Well, they left them on the range. They, they, at first it was in the dining hall. This is Michael again. He says an inmate in his institution got quite sick. I guess he was thrown up and they... They locked down the, the dining hall where he was in and then sent kitchen cleaners, like, with no, just here, here's some products, go in and take care of it. <laughs> the right. guys ain't trained. They don't even know what products they were using, but they were given the products and, hey, go in. He was tested and luckily did not have COVID-19. Of course, they didn't know that yet when they sent other inmates to clean up his vomit. Hello, my name's John Paul Conrad Lowen. John Paul is at the Surrey Remand Center in B.C., in recent weeks, he's been getting worried, so he started cleaning. Oh, I cleaned everything. I cleaned um, all the outside uh, in our unit, all the handles, because the guards are the ones that we're always worried about, and they come in and they touch everything. Even though they're wearing gloves, um, they're always wearing the same gloves. They don't not exactly change them. So they touch all of our handles, they touch all of the railings, so we make sure those are cleaned, cleaned, cleaned. I was doing stuff while I was in a wheelchair, and so was another fella that he can't grow hair, like he's got no eyebrows, no nothing, and we called him Mr. Clean, so him and I would, you know, team up on the whole place, and we would just clean, 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 and, um, and they just started paying me, so uh, they gave me they give me a dollar fifty a day, and I just got my first day, and of course, um, I was able to make this, this call, which, you know, it, it took me a week's worth of work to get the money to make this call. <laughs> Let me tell you, the phone is, they're allowed two hours per day, one hour at a time. So if it, it's 11 cents a minute, so it works out to about $12 a day. Corrections Canada has banned all family visits. That means the only way inmates can communicate with their loved ones is by phone. To offset that cost, Donna says, Corrections Canada has given each inmate a $5 credit. The prison has waived some monthly fees for inmates, but phone costs are still ridiculously expensive. So $5 isn't going to go far. That's a joke, actually. John Paul is a resourceful guy, but that's not always celebrated in the prisons. You know, we try to make our own makeshift masks that we bleached and put uh, paper towel in between, the, you know, the regular towel that we made it from and then paper towel in between. And they won't let us wear them, so we have to take them off all the time. So it's, it's kind of frustrating that way, but 
they say that it's for security reasons, you know, they, they want to see who we are. And it's like, well, <laughs> you know, it's, it doesn't seem to matter too much who we are. It's, it's uh, <laughs> mm. we're worried about our life right now, you know. And maybe unsurprisingly, John Paul got sick. He woke up in the middle of the night with a sore throat, a headache, and a horrible cough. So she came in and, and she nurse checked me and saw that my lungs were inflamed and and a few other symptoms. So she decided right then and there that I needed to be isolated and, and she shoved this cotton thing way up my nose. <laughs> so that was about uh, four hours ago. I'm in the health health range now. They've taken me from Charlie two unit down to healthcare. Isol and it's uh, isolation within the isolation. So there's a secondary. Um, cells that are behind glass and so kind of a lonely place, but that's, that's what it is. <laughs> John Paul's COVID-19 test came back negative, but he's still incredibly ill. His partner was terrified after she didn't hear from him for days on end. He had been too weak to leave his cell. And as bad as that is, other institutions are even worse. I had issue with healthcare and uh, doing some cleaning, there was some black mold in here, and then the chemicals you know, caused a problem with my lungs and I had a headache. This is Daryl Brown. He's also at a provincial institution in BC. Like John Paul, he started cleaning. As fears of COVID-19 were running rampant, he started feeling sick. Sore throat, difficulty breathing. He asked for health care, even just for a Tylenol. They initially told him no. Then, when it was obvious that he was sick, they isolated him in administrative segregation. That's Canada's fancy word for solitary confinement. So they put me in isolation, in SIG. It's, yeah. it's not isolation, it's in the hole. And it's nasty down there. But I was held for four days there. Um, I didn't get yard, I didn't get anything. Over those four days, Daryl was allowed one shower and two phone calls. That's it. He wasn't given an extra mattress, no access to his stuff, no TV. He eventually tested negative, but prisons across the country have handled this very differently. Some prisons have stepped up. One inmate told me corrections officers held a town hall to let everyone know what they're doing to protect against the virus. Another inmate said his institution installed liquid soap dispensers. But it very much depends on where you are. It's like so many other stories I've heard from straight across the country that some guards and administrators are not taking this seriously. Some inmates have organized sit-ins to protest conditions. One inmate at the Joyceville Minimum Security Institution in Ontario told me he was warned by prison management to stop, quote, making waves. He then warned me to be aware that there are repercussions for every action, and I might want to think about that before voicing my concerns any further. Some corrections officers have refused to go to work, objecting to the conditions inside those prisons and the lack of support. In an immigration detention facility in Laval, eight inmates began a hunger strike on March 24th. These detainees have not committed a crime. They're being held until they can be seen before a refugee board or before they're deported. The Solidarity Across Borders Support Network posted audio messages from the detainees on SoundCloud. Uh, we're just asking to be considered as anybody else as decent human beings and and protect us especially like from the virus because we we feel that we, we feel very very uh exposed and, and in danger in this uh, detention center the hunger strike ended after more than a week as several detainees had been released 
Dozens are still left in the Laval Center, and hundreds of others are still detained across the country. And Ottawa has not committed to releasing them. Hi there, Prime Minister. Um, you've been imploring people to stay home if they can. Uh, you've been asking people not to go to work. Um, but given that, why are you still sending in civil servants to run uh, immigration detention facilities? Uh, do you consider that an essential service to be locking up people who were applying for asylum here? Yeah, we recognize that there are many essential services that need to continue to be delivered for Canadian safety, for uh, the well-being of our country, and ensuring uh, that Canadians are safe needs to be a top priority. That's why we're going to continue to ensure that essential services get done wherever possible. Civil servants are uh, encouraged to work remotely, to work from home. Uh, we know there are significant things that need to be worked on to deliver for Canadians, to keep Canadians and safe at this particular time, and I want to take the opportunity again to thank the public service for all it does uh, in these difficult times to make sure Canadians are kept safe and secure. This situation is bad. There's no two ways about it. And unless your solution is to just let people die in prison, the government is going to have to do something. And there is one radical fix that I keep hearing. Just let people out. On March 24th, I reached out to Tom Engel. He's a lawyer and the president of the Canadian Prison Law Association. He has, since this virus began spreading, been petitioning Ottawa to get ahead of this. They could decarcerate thousands of prisoners just by an order in council and they could make it conditional, and they could have criteria. They could start with not serving for a violent crime, not a risk to the public, and, you, I don't know, you have X months left on your sentence. There's all sorts of criteria that they could, they could impose on a conditional pardon. Let me hit you with a few statistics. Inside federal prisons, about 70% of inmates are serving time for violent offenses. Okay, but the majority of those sentences are actually pretty short. They're only between two and three years. And, as Tom points out to me, most inmates in provincial jails are there under federal statute, so the criminal code or the CDSA, the Drug Act. That means even though they're not in federal custody, the federal government can still order their release. Lots of people in prisons probably don't need to be there. So take Paul Gallagher. He's a former Hells Angel. Even though he left the club more than a decade ago, his previous membership earned him a pretty stiff sentence into federal prison for a relatively low-level drug crime. I, I got uh, caught with three keys of uh, coke. And you got, you got what, how many years did you get for that? I got four years for that. There's also Kyle. He's an inmate in the provincial facility in Nanaimo. He's there on a Motor Vehicle Act charge. I only got 10 days left, so I was hoping they'd open the gate for me, but I mean, I got kids at home and a family and help take care of two seniors and I got lots going on for me. I've not been here for a driving while prohibited charge. Michael admits he's not a good candidate for release, but lots of the guys he's serving with are. Like I see some cretinals releasing, like, like I said, there's a guy getting two weeks, there's a guy has a month, all the new guys, I don't know why they're bringing back new guys. They just put a guy on the range for a dirty piss test. For like six months he's been out and he slipped up with a dirty piss and they sent him back. They're actually reincarcerating people who violated the parole by doing drugs. It's insane. 
Just this past weekend, I got a call from the Fraser Valley Institution for Women, a minimum security federal prison in Alberta. My name is Amanda Lapine. Amanda is also back inside in a parole violation. But there's something else about her incarceration that is just insane. Yeah, I'm seven months pregnant and I'm in here and it's really stressful. Like, we have no movement. We have basically nothing in here. Amanda passes the phone to another inmate. And another. First up, there's Samantha, who's inside on a two-and-a-half-year drug possession charge. She says women in the prison are helping join the fight against COVID-19, but aren't being protected themselves. Right now, there's uh, a committee in here that's actually making masks for donation, but I guess we're not allowed to use them, even though they're medical masks. The guards that come in, they're not keeping a distance. They're touching things. They're, it's, it's ridiculous. And they're treating us like we're infected. And um, if we're even caught even anywhere near another person, we're threatening to get charged. What do you mean? Like they're enforcing, they're enforcing like distance between each of you, but they're not doing it themselves? Exactly. And there's Fallon Aubie. Hi, Justin. That's me, yeah. How are you doing? Good, how are you? Uh, not too bad. I know my voice can sound a little weird for being in a woman's prison, but I'm the first pre-op transgender in Canada to make it from prison for men to prison for women. So, Fallon has health issues too. She's put in an application to the parole board. I, I do have a release plan. I have a wife in the community. We have a home. Trudy is the same way. I've been married for 35 years. My husband comes every weekend. Uh, I have kids, grandkids. I have a lot of support. If you start adding up all the prisoners who are incarcerated for nonviolent crimes, like motor vehicle act infractions or property crimes, and then you add in prisoners who are already eligible for parole or who will be released soon anyway, and then take the inmates who are elderly or infirm, you're talking about thousands and thousands of prisoners. And just like Donna McKay, Tom has been writing letters to Justice Minister David Lametti to Public Safety Minister Bill Blair, and to Ann Kelly, the head of Correctional Services Canada. Have you got a response yet? Have you, have you got an indication that they're taking this seriously? No, I haven't got any response, except for one of those auto responses. You know, We've written to them. I know the Alberta Prison Justice Society has written to them. I know the West Coast Prisoner Legal Services have written to them. I don't think anybody's got a response. Well, I can tell you that I got, I got a response from them, and it was, uh, I can read it to you if you want it. Uh, it's basically that uh, they're confident that CSC can can manage the the threat and that uh, not much more needs to be done. Are you yeah. are you kidding me? No, here I'll I'll read <laughs> I'll read you exactly. They sent me the statement uh, an hour ago. I read the statement out loud to Tom. I had asked Public Safety Minister Bill Blair's office whether they were considering releasing low risk inmates. The response was so incredibly vague. They're taking precautions. They're examining all available options. It didn't impress Tom much. So I guess they're waiting. I guess they're waiting for the outbreak. And, and then what are they going to do? Because that, that, is, um, that is a dangerous position to take, that they're going to wait until somebody tests positive with COVID-19. It'll be too late. Many prisons don't have full-time health care staff. The union representing prison nurses told me their members are on the verge of walking off the job due to unsafe conditions. Many prisons are in small communities where, if an outbreak occurs, it could overwhelm the local hospitals really quickly. On March 25th, I got the chance to ask the Prime Minister again. And I had some optimism that, hey, maybe things have changed. 
This crisis was worsening. Drastic action was being taken on a whole bunch of fronts. And now I had some idea of just how bad the crisis was in these institutions. Maybe the prime minister was hearing the same sort of stories I was. I've heard from prisoners, inmates, and guards who have said uh, that prisons are not ready, that their release is not being contemplated, that there's not enough soap, that sanitary conditions are even worse, and that guards are being allowed into the prison even after returning from abroad. Uh, what, if anything, are you going to do to continue uh, reducing the risk in Canada's uh, federal institutions uh, and is releasing inmates, nonviolent offenders, on the table? Um, we uh, recognize that uh, the incarcerated population is at greater risk. That is why we are uh, working closely with Corrections Canada to keep uh, both those who work uh, in our correctional facilities, but also those who are uh, uh, residents there. I have said multiple times uh, we are not taking anything off the table in terms of options in order to keep Canadians safe, and uh, we will continue our discussions with uh, Corrections Canada. If the government was waiting for an outbreak, well, they finally got one. The same day as that press conference, an inmate at the Toronto South Detention Centre, a provincial institution, became the first confirmed case of COVID-19 in Canada's prisons. Five days after that, there were two confirmed cases at the Port Cartier Institution in Quebec, a maximum security federal institution. According to a statement from Corrections Canada, the inmates became sick after nine guards tested positive, and the inmates had been put in medical isolation. But according to Alain Ducat, who is serving a sentence at Port Cartier, the sick inmates were thrown in solitary confinement. Oui, bonjour. Now, this call quality is terrible, and we switched back and forth between English and French, but Alain told me that it was the guards who brought COVID-19 into the institution. Yeah, yeah my guard had the virus. The guy I understand on the virus has come back and work in the jail. And since those two inmates became sick, the prison population has been locked down 24 hours a day in their cells. No, right now, I have two inmates, maybe seven inmates I have. No, right now, last night, everybody, 24-hour lockup in their fucking cell. One of those inmates showing symptoms, Elaine told me, is Canada's most infamous serial killer. I said, there's I'm hearing that right. Robert Picton? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Elaine is telling me that prisoners who get fever are thrown into the hole for 24 hours a day. We're afraid to die there, he tells me. Yeah, no, that's nothing. Just the pressure. They look like the fever. The virus is with others Correctional Services Canada disputed in a statement that inmates were being placed in solitary confinement. I've asked them directly, what exactly distinguishes medical isolation from solitary confinement, a practice that, according to the Canadian courts, is torture? They haven't responded. Yes, hi, this is uh, Ivan Zinger, Correctional Investigator of Canada. I called the Correctional Investigator. He's the watchdog for Canada's federal prisons. He's also been hearing a lot of the same things I had. We have seen a, a surge of, of complaints um, from inmates uh, with respect to uh, how the institution is uh, managing the, um, uh, the pandemic. Dr. Zinger has been trying to constructively help correctional services deal with this crisis. And he does say that they are really trying to contain this thing and keep the inmate population safe. But there's one point where I could tell he was really frustrated. 
if you ask me the question, are they individuals in federal corrections that uh, could be managed safely in the community? My answer is yes. Um, and if you recalled last year with the um, Canadian Rights Commission, I released a report on aging and dying in prison. Mm -hmm. uh, and that report uh, made it clear that they were uh, aging um, uh, individuals that were palliative, uh, terminally ill, uh, had severe mobility restrictions, um, bedridden, uh, people with dementia, uh, people with Alzheimer's that were incarcerated that could easily be managed in the community if the service reallocate funds to build capacity in, in the community. Correctional services didn't act on the recommendation. They just said they would study it. And if it would have been accepted, then maybe we would have fewer vulnerable people in our penitentiaries. Of the inmates I spoke to, so many had underlying conditions. <laughs> Excuse me, that being said, uh, because I have heart disease, I have lung, I also have stage four cancer. That's William Lewis. He, at one point, calls over another inmate, Matt Sherwin. And then, like, a lot of us have underlying health issues. Like myself, I had two heart problems last year. I've had pneumonia five times. Oh. So it's kind of a worry, right? John Paul is in that camp, too. You know, I may only be 49 years old, but I've got an illness called sarcoidosis, mm. which uh, generally affects the lungs. And oh, about three, four years ago, I nearly escaped a lung transplant. And there's Amanda. I am 39 years old, and um, that makes me high risk of having a baby. I'm supposed to be on medication when I give birth, and I don't even know if that's going to happen. And if I'm not, I don't even know where I'm giving birth, um, which is a big problem for me because I don't know if I'm having the baby here or going out. I don't know if I can keep my baby or not. Um, and a lot of women here, like the older women too, have no way of talking to doctors, nothing. Samantha says the prison is already facing medication shortages. I've heard that about other institutions as well. And I'm supposed to be getting my inhalers sometime next week or the week after. So I don't have one right now. I just have the one that is a steroid that you're only supposed to use twice a day. And um, <clears throat> yeah, so healthcare, it's, it's very slim to none. As the government drags its feet, some in Parliament are raising the alarm. Kim Pate speaking. Senator Kim Pate spent 15 years as the executive director of the Elizabeth Farai Societies of Canada, which advocates for women and girls in the justice system. The senator started getting phone calls from medical professionals saying that they had been advising prisons and governments to begin decarcerating and that they were being ignored. But many of them were being discouraged from saying that publicly because uh, they, the correctional authorities were not necessarily taking that position. Last week, the senator and former health minister Jane Philpott wrote an op-ed warning that time was running out to protect prisons and prison staff from calamity. They called for immediate release of prisoners. They even suggested that some inmates could help build health infrastructure to combat COVID-19, especially in remote communities. It's part of the reason that Dr. Philpott and I wrote some of the things we did um, this past week because we were incredibly concerned that if in fact medical professionals were giving this advice and it wasn't being followed um, for obvious reasons we you know we should all be gravely concerned. Others in parliament do care about this problem. The NDP has advocated for releasing prisoners amid COVID-19 and Nathaniel Erskine-Smith a former lawyer and a current liberal member of parliament is also frustrated. We 
promised significant criminal justice and prison reform, and we haven't seen that reform come to fruition in a real way, I don't think. And so in the context of this pandemic, we're, we're confronted with the reality of because of our uh, inaction previously, prisoners and correction, correctional service officers are at an increased risk in the course of this pandemic. And we should, just as we're pulling out all the stops as in, in every single area that we can to prevent the spread of this uh, disease and to prevent the, of the virus and to prevent negative health consequences, we should be pulling out all the stops in prison reform at, at the same time. Even as Ottawa has done nothing to let out offenders, even those up for parole, even those who are already being released on day passes, or those who are only back inside for parole violations, the premiers of Ontario and Alberta have actually taken steps to let some inmates go home. Where someone has violated parole in some insignificant way with respect to public safety, obviously they shouldn't be being returned to prison in the circumstances. And so where there are very obvious cases like that, we need to act much faster. And it is frustrating to see provinces move more quickly, especially provinces that don't have the same history of strong advocacy for, uh, for reforming our criminal justice system. And so without question where there are those easy cases, we need to act yesterday. The federal, provincial, and territorial governments have the power to fix this. And yet, I haven't found a single person who is satisfied with what's being done so far. Releasing inmates isn't easy. The union, which represents federal corrections officers, has voiced concerns about that plan, saying that the government needs to immediately provide resources to ensure that inmates can be released without a risk to the community. They're also calling for the government to make testing officers and inmates a priority, and to improve screening for those coming into the prisons. These are all things that should have been done weeks ago. Releasing inmates also won't fix everything. You need to make sure they have somewhere to go in the community. Some offenders just can't be released. But the fewer prisoners you have, the less resources you need to dedicate to locking them up. The more you can prioritize staff elsewhere or give inmates more space. And you can move inmates to prisons with adequate health care. This sort of power exists. The criminal code allows for something called the Royal Prerogative of Mercy. It gives the federal cabinet the power to set out conditions on who can be released or pardoned. The longer we wait, the worse this is going to get. I'm still getting updates. William called me as news broke that there were COVID-19 outbreaks in British Columbia jails. I'm going to give you the news that uh, we were dreading. Michael called to tell me that the fear inside his prison is that many of the corrections officers have now contracted the virus. So, how are things? Ah, awful. Awful. It's gotten worse. It's, uh, well, I don't know how close it is, but I guess, I don't know, I... I've been hearing, I don't know, the grape was that the officers picked it up at a snowmobile rally that they have every year, so... I've heard from lawyers with clients at Port Cartier who say that the prison is no longer getting crucial medication needed to treat inmates with mental health illnesses. I keep thinking of Alain, sitting in his cell, waiting for the nurse to come by and check his temperature, knowing that if it's high, he'll be thrown in the hole. 
As of April 3rd, Correctional Services Canada reports there are 12 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in prisons across the country. That includes five cases at a women's prison in Ontario. There have only been 112 tests conducted and 20 results are still pending. There are also more cases in provincial prisons. Amid all this, more provinces have started working to release inmates, but there has been no news from the federal government. No new measures, no decision to waive the cost of phone calls, no requirement for hand sanitizer, no additional soap, not a damn thing. I've asked Public Safety Minister Bill Blair for an interview. His office refused. On Sunday, the CBC reported that Correctional Services Canada has been taking action against inmates who have spoken out to the media about the conditions inside their institutions. At least one inmate's access to the phone is currently being withheld. A spokesperson for the federal agency told the CBC that journalists are required to clear their interviews with correctional services ahead of time. That's something that's never going to fly. This past Friday, at the Prime Minister's daily briefing, I tried again. You know, it's been two weeks now since I first asked you about releasing nonviolent offenders, uh, and nothing has happened. Your government has continuously said you're looking at it, everything's on the table, you're looking at it, but nothing's actually happened yet. Why are you dragging your feet and why has action not been taken yet? Uh, I can actually inform you that action has been taken. We've been working closely with Corrections Canada and uh, detention facilities of all types uh, to reduce uh, the vulnerability to the spread of COVID-19 to ensure that measures are in place uh, to keep Canadians safe. We continue to look at uh, other measures that can be taken and we will take those measures in due course. It has been weeks of this inaction. Things are at a breaking point, and Justin Trudeau is doing nothing. That is your Canada Land. Once again, if you like this show and you want to support this show, you can get this show without the ads for five bucks a month Canadian when you click on the link in the show notes or go to canadalandshow.com slash join. You can email me about this show at jesse at canadalandshow.com. We're on Twitter at CanadaLand. Our website is canadalandshow.com. If you have not been listening to some of our other shows like Commons, their most recent episode is just an epic episode. It is an incredible story about murder and the FBI and the American Indian movement, and I didn't know any of this stuff before listening to Commons. There's also an episode of Oppo this week, and I think it's really important that we stay connected to what our elected officials are doing, and we stay critical and informed about Canadian politics during this time, and Oppo is a great way to stay informed about that. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer. This episode, of course, was reported by Justin Ling. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. You can visit them online at cfuv.ca. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.